0: easy it is in life to miss the obvious? Right before our face and yet we miss it. I want you to consider the following story. An eccentric philosophy professor gave a one-question final exam after a semester that dealt with a broad array of topics. The class was already seated. They were ready to go. The professor then walked up, picked up his chair, plopped it on his desk, and wrote this on the board. Using everything we have learned this semester, prove that this chair does not exist. Fingers flew, essays flying, erasers erased, notebooks were filled furious fashion. Some students wrote over 30 pages in one hour attempting to refute the existence of the chair. One of the members of the class, however, was fed up with all of it, was up and finished in less than a minute. And if you've ever had a philosophy course, you can relate to that. Weeks later, when the grades were posted, the rest of the group wondered how this guy, who was fed up with it and was done in a minute, got an A, and some of them, who spent hours refuting the existence of the chair, got a C. They went over to him and they asked to see his paper. On his paper, it said this What chair? <laughs> he got an A. You know, I was thinking about that this past week and as I was uh, studying our passage for today I came across the cartoon and of all places, the sports section of a local newspaper. (laughs) What's the odds of me first of all reading the sports section and second of all coming up with an illustration that I could use? The following cartoon kind of leapt off the pages at me and I hope we can get it on here but it's a baseball field. People sitting in the stands and it says, for your safety, please do not adopt the players as role models. Well, you know, while I certainly, I've certainly, i certainly met men who are excellent role models and I wouldn't mind being like them myself in many ways or even having our children grow up to be like them, I can still understand the warning in this cartoon. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, Paul continued his warning against false teachers and their doctrine and tells Timothy that one, if not the best defense against such lies is for him and for all Christians to be a positive role model of God's truth and the Christian faith. One of the best defenses against the lies of the enemy is for you and I as God's people ...to be a positive role model of God's truth and the Christian faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's exactly the point that Paul is making to Timothy... ...where we learn how to be such a positive role model. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 12, we read these words. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity... ...show yourselves an example of those who believe... Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on the hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in these things so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. There is no greater weapon against falsehood than the truth. There is no clearer message than a life and lips, deeds and words that are lived out in harmony with one another. In this short but deep passage we learn much about what it means to be a positive role model for the Christian faith. And in this passage, we see basically two things that will form our outline. The first one has to do with the fact that Paul identifies for Timothy the responsibilities that are involved in being a positive godly role model. There are some responsibilities that are involved in being a positive role model. In verses 12 and 13, just to read them again, he says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, purity, faith. Show yourselves an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. very simple outline that will follow is that Paul identifies for Timothy responsibilities that must be carried out in order to be a positive role model of the Christian faith. It's been said that the the single greatest tool of leadership is the power of an exemplary life. The single greatest tool of leadership is the power of an exemplary life. That being true, Paul tells Timothy that as a minister of the gospel, he is to live his life in such a manner that it reinforces all that he has to say. If you recall, he has already told Timothy to preach the word of God with authority the authority that comes with the truth of God's word, he now warns warns him that such authoritative preaching is undermined if there's not a virtuous life backing it up. You can preach the word of God with authority if indeed you're living an exemplary life of that which you are now teaching to those who are within your hearing. The New Testament has much to say about the crucial role of example. Timothy wrote to the Corinthians, I'm sorry, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. He went on to tell the Philippians in, in 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have seen in us, which we'll talk about more in a minute. In Philippians 4.9, he said, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. In 1 Thessalonians, back a couple of books, he writes a similar thought to the Thessalonians at Thessalonica when he writes these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He says, "...for our gospel did not come to you in word only." But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. We didn't come and just teach truth. We came and taught truth and lived it in front of you so there was no mistaking what it was we were trying to say. It was proved to you dynamically in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is a supernatural life. It is not a natural life. The most natural thing in the world, as we'll discuss in a moment, is to be a certain way. The most unnatural thing, the most supernatural thing, is to allow God, residing within the life of the believer, to live his life out through us. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living within me. How can you respond the way that you do? How can you say the things that you do? Do the things that you do. Hey, it's only because Christ lives within me. The most natural response is this. But supernaturally, Christ living within me, this is the life I now live. And it's a powerful example of the Christian faith. He said, we didn't come and just teach you. We, come and we, we came and we taught you God's truth. But more importantly, we lived it out before you. So that there was no mistaking what we had to say. More truth is caught than taught. You can teach people the truth, but if you're not living it before them, they will end up living a life just like you rather than what you said. How many of you grew up in homes where they said, hey, don't do as I do, just do as I say? What nonsense that is. How many times I heard that even in my, own, in my own upbringing to realize that, you know what, you can tell me one thing, but I'll tell you right now, I'll end up being just like you. I'll end up doing that which was role modeled in front of me. Even though you can teach me what I should be doing, I will end up doing that which I see done most often. See, he so said, we came to you and proved to be, this is what we proved to be among you you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The point is very simple. While we are told in Scripture clearly never to worship men, never to worship men as God, on the flip side, we are told to follow and imitate godly men we are told to follow and imitate godly men. For godly men will defer all the glory to their Lord. Walk in my footsteps. Do what I do. Not only what I say, but what I do. If you live a life, that the same life that I am pursuing, you'll be okay because I am committed to be more like Jesus. If you follow in my footsteps, if you you obey my words and you walk this way, you'll be okay because I'm walking with Christ and I want you to walk with me see to imitate meant basically if you've ever grown up in an environment or been in a place where there's a lot of snow having grown up in that environment we realized very quickly when you would walk to school you know we used to walk to school five miles uphill both ways and uh... And, uh, you know, and, and when somebody would go out in front of you and they would walk, man, you'd learn real quick that rather than, you know, having to do what they did, you just follow in their footsteps. It was, you know, following their footsteps. It was, it was easier than going out and trying to blaze your own trail. And you realize that if they were successful in the way that they walked, in the direction that they went, man, it was a lot easier to follow their footsteps than it was to, to make your own path. See, in the bottom line of what Paul was saying for Timothy is this, Timothy, you've seen my life. You've heard the truth of God's word. Now just walk in my footsteps and God will get all the glory for the way that we live. So he, he, he talks about, he, so he tells him, you know, not to allow anybody back to First Timothy. He says, don't allow anyone to disqualify you for, because you are lacking man-made standards. You know, so he said, hey, listen, don't let anyone look down on you for your youthfulness. See, in the Greek culture, if you were under the word youth, basically means anybody under 40. And so some of you that are, you know, over 30 that are sweating it, you're still young in the Greek culture. And uh, so, you know, bottom line was, he says, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. Anyone under the age of 40 was considered young and really didn't have anything to off- offer their culture. So they would look and say, what do we, you know, there's not, Timothy at this time, we estimate, is probably between 35, 38 years old. So he was below that standard, and as a result, they'd say, you know what, you really have nothing to offer us. But what he was saying to them is this. If you live in such a manner, if you live a godly lifestyle, if you are an example for them, then you know what? They won't be able to disqualify you, and they'll have to listen to what you have to say. They'll have to listen to what you have to say. They will have to respect you if you earn their respect as a positive role model of God's truth. The key to understanding what he is telling Timothy is this. He says, show yourself an example of those who believe. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Example means pattern or model. It's a word that meant to make an impression or an impression that was left by a blow or by a stamp. You know, in those days they would use signet rings or whatever and they would make an impression in wax and that was the impression that was left. You know, when they would sign a letter and then they would seal it and they would deliver it to a king or whatever. Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah got letters to, to, to enable him to make passage into lands that were occupied by other people. And the king would seal that with a, with a signet ring on a, on a you know, wax and that would be the seal. He's saying basically for you and I, make an impression upon the world in which you live. An impression that is of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. An impression for those around you that they recognize that as a Christian, there is a certain life or a manner of living that is worthy of our calling. Make sure that people are impressed by you as a Christian. That they recognize that you are living a life that is exemplary of a Christian life, of a person who has been truly born again. The reason we don't make much impression on our culture is because we're not much different than it. If you really get down to it and, and analyze your life according to the objective standards of the word of God, what kind of impression can you make if you're no different than the people around you who are lost and have never come to faith in Christ? He saying make an impression on them by living a life that's exemplary of godly truth. Be an example to them. And the words that we see here basically has to do with a pattern of life. As I said, a pattern is something that you follow, that, you know, at the end result, if you have a pattern that's made for a dress or something of that sort, and you see the end result, and this is the the, the dress that comes out of following the pattern, you follow the pattern, you sew the dress, there it is. And you go, wow, you know what? Following the pattern led to the end result. Always saying for you and I at this point is very simply this, follow the pattern that's laid out by the word of God, and you will make an impression on a lost world for Christ. Follow that pattern. Timothy was to be an example, and now see, here's here's where we need to understand something very clearly, and that's this. Paul is telling Timothy to be an example so he would set the standard by which others would follow. So there's a high standard for godly leadership, but at the same time, the purpose of godly leadership, living a life that's exemplary, is so that all of God's people would live the same way. So you can't sit there and go, oh, good, glad I'm not in leadership. This had to do with, you know, Paul telling Timothy this is what God demanded of Timothy's life. Now, wait a minute. Timothy was to live this life in front of the congregation so that all believers would then live a similar life or the same life. So we're all on the hook to be obedient to what we see here taught before us. Timothy was to live this life in such a manner that our life would reflect being truly born again, and that all of God's people would see how to live and then walk in a similar manner. So now he lays it out and he says, okay, you know what, here's how we're to make an impression on our culture. Here's how God's people are to be a positive role model of God's truth. Number one, be a positive role model in God's truth in the area of speech. In the area of speech, the conversation of a positive role model must be exemplary. Look, turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 34, Jesus, as he uses the conversation of those who were not godly people, he says in many ways, don't be like them, but be like this. And he uses the Pharisees, the religious people who said the right things, but their life was far from God, and then in private were saying things they shouldn't have been saying. He said this, in verse 34 of chapter 12, of the Gospel of Matthew says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? It says, for the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Notice what he's saying. That out of the heart of man proceeds words that are reflective of that person's heart. All it takes is some time in conversation to begin to recognize and understand where a person is spiritually because their speech will reflect their true spiritual condition. I'll give you an example and I'll follow up here in a minute. But I, I had a gal that called me and said she was all excited because she had gotten engaged and she wanted me to officiate at the wedding. And so, you know, a typical conversation as it goes, I said, man, that's exciting. Where'd you meet? And went through all that. I said, you know, hey, you know, is, is, is the guy a Christian? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he is. I said, I can't wait to meet him. So they came by, and we met, and we talked. And the longer he talked, the quicker I realized he had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. He was like so many in our culture. I believe in God, I'm a good person, I do these things. I went to church once, twice, five times, ten times. Whatever it was, his definition of being a Christian wasn't what God's definition was. And so the longer he spoke, the more it revealed his true spiritual condition. And it's true of all of us. The longer we speak, the more it reveals who we really are. And it also reveals our motives. So, the more conversation takes place, the more motives are revealed. See, we're to be exemplary because a man's speech reflects what is in his heart. And all types of sinful speech must be avoided by Christians if we are to be a positive role model and make an impression on our culture. The Bible talks about deviating from truthfulness. Ephesians 4 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Nothing more surely reveals a sinful heart and more swiftly destroys a leader's credibility or a believer's credibility than not being truthful, than telling lies. Absolute honesty is essential for one who speaks on behalf of the God who cannot lie. The God who hates lying tongues. We have got to become people who are committed to telling the truth, to speaking the truth in love, and yet at the same time not compromising truth. I heard a story that illustrates the danger of having a reputation of not telling the whole truth or half-truths or whatever we want to call them in our culture. Hillary Clinton died and went to heaven. And as she... This is a story. And as, a, and as she stood in front... Well, let me get to the, to the part I want to get to. And as she stood in front of St. Peter at the pearly gates, she saw a huge wall of clocks behind him, and she asked, what are all those clocks? Peter answered, those are lie clocks, L-I-E, lie clocks. Everyone on earth has a lie clock, and every time you lie, the hands on your clock will move. She said, oh, well, whose clock is that? Well, that's Mother Teresa's. The hands have never moved, indicating she never in her life told a lie. Well, whose clock is that? Well, that's Abraham Lincoln's clock. The hands have only moved twice, telling us that Abe told only two lies in his entire life. She said, well, then where's my husband's clock? Where's Bill's clock? And Peter said, oh, it's in the Lord's office. He uses it as a ceiling fan. (laughs) Laying all politics aside, while we may laugh at such a story, make no mistake about it. As Christians, to be a positive role model, we must be committed to truth, and yet we're also told to speak that truth in love. Ephesians forbids angry speech, impure speech, dirty jokes, dirty stories, anything that's not uplifting, slanderous words. You know, a positive role model is one who, whose speech must be good for edification according to the needs of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear and with all of these things in mind about being exemplary in the area of speech as it relates to telling or speaking the truth in love and, 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 uh, and, and you know, no angry words and all of, all of that we see throughout Scripture, I want to give you an update because, as some of you may recall, three weeks ago I made an announcement, you know, addressing the ongoing discussions regarding the status of Kindred Fellowship. For those of you who don't know, that's what this group is called, and, uh, you know, this Bible study and my teaching ministry here And at the time, I gave an overview of how it has grown over time from a Sunday school or an ABF, adult Bible fellowship, additive to, uh, for some, what has become an alternative worship service. And so this has created in the minds of some, um, some in leadership a perception of this being a church within a church, primarily because of the size and because of the mix of people across generational group of those who attend. And the perception, this perception is viewed as negative and divisive. So as a result of our ongoing discussions regarding the matter, it has become very clear that Kindred, in its current form, with me as its teacher, at some point in the future, will no longer continue to meet on Sundays. Now I want to be very clear, so as not to be misunderstood, as of this time, we, as far as Kindred's leadership is concerned, are not aware of a specific date when this change will occur, nor do we know exactly what that means for me personally teaching here at Calvary Church, what future form of ministry that may take. Um, But we're exploring other options here at Calvary and uh, trusting that God will make His will clear to all who are involved in this decision-making process. Now, the next question will come from some of you. What can we do? And the answer is, again, continue to pray because that's that's our first response to situations like this and not a last resort. Uh, we need to be kind, as what we're learning right now, to be kind, to be guarded in our speech, not to be angry. You know, the Bible says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, and, and out of our heart, real, you know, out of our lips, it really reveals what's on our heart. And so we've got to be very careful in those areas. I would encourage you, as I have been, and Linda has, and all of us have through this process, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him so that He will direct your paths. Um, it's important that we realize that, you know, while none of us like change and, you know, and, and we look at all these things, I take comfort as I go through the word of God that we have a God who is still in control of all things. We have a God who's committed that the word of God is taught with authority to a world that is hungry to know him. So I have no hesitancies whatsoever in recognizing that God is ultimately in control of all things. I hope that you would do the same. And as future developments um, become clear and apparent, as that one has, um, then we will update that. Because the last thing I want to be guilty of is misleading anyone. Because our speech and being committed to truthfulness, that integrity, is what we're all about as God's people. And we need to recognize that and understand that. So the second thing he talks about is not only in the area of speech, but that in the area of conduct. How to conduct ourselves. How to live a life that is is worthy of our calling. A life that is reflected of Christ living within us. It's required uh, to be a model of righteous living. And when we say the word righteous, basically what we mean is very simple and that's this. There is a right way to live before God and there is a wrong way to live before God. Righteousness is simply living out what is right before God. See, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. And there is a way that is right before God, and we need to recognize what that right way is. He said, you know, be an example of the Christian faith. Be a positive role model, not only in the way you speak, but also the way you conduct yourself so that your speech and your conduct go hand in hand. A biblical message paired with an ungodly lifestyle is nothing but blatant hypocrisy. To say the right thing and then yet not live it is nothing but blatant hypocrisy, and that was the greatest rebuke and condemnation that Jesus had for the religious leaders. Yes, you taught truth, but you didn't live it. You said the right things on the outside, but your hearts were dirty and filthy within. You dressed yourself all up, made yourself look good, but God, who knows the heart, knew that their hearts were far from God. You can't whitewash a character that is dark and dirty before God. Most of life's lessons, truths, are caught and not talked. And, and not taught, although we do both, not making a positive impact on unbelievers. You know, when you stop and think about it, if you're not making a positive impact on unbelieving friends, family members, co-workers, people in your community, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself a very difficult question. And that is, how do you live your life? I will guarantee you that if you live like hell you will not make a heavenly impression. If you live like those who are lost, there is nothing attractive about your life in which they will seek out truth. If you are compromising your faith in the truth of God's word, you have nothing to offer people in your life. If you are not making an impression, a positive role model for the kingdom of God, I challenge you to look at how you live your life. ...and whether it is pleasing before God or not. I challenge you to consider the words that come out of your mouth... ...whether they are reflective of a godly character or not. The Christian life is to be effectively both. Our life and our lips should line up in harmony. Who among you is wise and understanding, James writes... ...let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom... The word of God over and over, keep your behavior, behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. They can accuse us, the world can accuse us of all kinds of things as being Christians. But if we are living a godly life, we are making an impression because our conduct and our speech are, are lining up with the truth of God's word. They can make whatever accusations that they want, but they have no grounds by which to convict. Our life is to be exemplary. The third area he talks about is that of love. Be exemplary in the area of your speech and your conduct in love. Biblical love, as I've, I've mentioned, is not is not ever to be confused with the emotion our culture calls love. Biblical love is supernatural. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a great example of biblical love. Every wedding that I go to, every wedding that I officiate, i, I got to tie this in because there's nothing like this particular passage as it relates to godly love in the life of the Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 We read these words, "...if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but don't have love, it profits me nothing." God's love, the love of God within the heart of the believer, the impression that we make upon the world around us as positive role models of the Christian faith, God's love is patient. You know, the Bible talks about God's patient. You know, the only thing that God has to be patient towards are people. He's not patient with the universe, He's not patient with the star constellations, He's not patient with the planets, He's not patient with anything other than people. God is patient with people. God loves people and wishes none would perish, but all come to everlasting life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. God is patient with you. He is patient with me. He is patient with those who are in rebellion against him, and he sent Christ into the world to die for those, and yet while we are sinners. God is patient towards people. And the Bible says, as a result of Christ living within you, we must be patient towards one another. We are all a work in progress. We are not what we could be. We are not what we will be. And God, thank God, we are not what we used to be. God's love is patient. That's supernatural. That's not natural. The natural man becomes very impatient with people. God's love is kind and says the right words at the right time to give edification or grace in the need of that moment, to build people up and not tear them down. God's love is kind. It's not jealous. God's love doesn't brag or is not arrogant. God's love doesn't act unbecomingly, pout, when it doesn't get its way. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. The gentle answer turns away wrath. There's no hot button on, on a person who's living their life in faith in Jesus Christ and walking in harmony with them. You can say and do whatever you want, but you're not going to push that hot button because it doesn't exist. A gentle answer turns away wrath and stays focused on the issues and not on you know, the sidetrack road that people want to go down. God's love does not take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't hold things against other people when they've done harm to them. It just lets it go and lets God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay one day if even that repayment is necessary. Let it go. Move on. It's been said we should write down benefits done to us in marble, things that people have done for us that we never want to forget. Chisel them in marble. But offenses against us, write them in dust and wipe them clean. God's love doesn't take into account a wrong suffer, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and praise God, that love doesn't fail. That love will never fail. You want to know how to stay married? Just allow Christ to love your spouse through you. That love will never fail. No personal sacrifice is too great when it comes to demonstrating love towards others. He says, be an example in the area of faith. Faith in this particular uh, context means a faith that has to do with demonstrating faithfulness or an unswerving commitment, consistently faithful. It doesn't get sidetracked. It doesn't deviate from course. It doesn't forget its purpose. What Paul is telling to Timothy is this, don't forget your purpose or your calling why you do what you do. As Christians, never forget we're strangers, we're aliens, we're foreigners, we're traveling through. This life isn't all that we have to look forward to, but the kingdom that's to come. Don't ever lose sight of that. Some of us, you know, we we have an owner's mentality, not a renter's mentality. I deal with all kind of people in professional sports, Linda and I, who come and they rent and then they go back to their homes. They don't build room additions. They don't add to the house that they're living in. They don't fix it all up, change the carpet, paint, redecorate someone else's house. They know they're renters. They're just passing through. Why spend so much time, energy, effort, and money on something that really doesn't have any lasting quality? You know, if they're going to do anything, they do it to their home. They don't do it to this rental property. We are renters. We are passing through. Some of us, I think, would be disappointed... ...if Jesus came for us today... ...because we have become so entrenched in this world and what it has to offer... ...we forgot we are here on a mission. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. That is reconciling a sinful and lost man to the God who created them... ...through faith and trust in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross... ...and the power of His resurrection. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation... ...to reconcile lost man to God through faith in Christ. That's why we're here. If not, then once a person comes to faith in Christ, God might as well take them home if we're not going to do anything for the kingdom of God. Our whole purpose in being here is to lead people to faith in Christ. How? By an exemplary life. Salt, light, that causes a thirst and causes some, some hunger for spiritual things. Be exemplar in faith. You know what Paul said? You know what? I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith, man. I haven't got sidetracked by what the world and the devil has to offer. Saying, hey, come over here. Get tied up in all this stuff. No, man. I've got a purpose in being here. The purpose in being here. Don't get sidetracked. Purity. The area of purity. And it has to do nothing else with no other area but sexual purity and thought and in action. If you want to be a light in darkness and you are single, commit to not having a sexual relationship until you are married. Period. All your friends, all your coworkers, everybody in your life will say, what's up with you? They may make fun of you. They may criticize you. They may ridicule you. But you know what? Once you give it up, you never have it again to give up again for the first time. See, and they can ridicule you all you want. But you know what? I want to do what's right. Before the Lord, my Savior, and his word is very clear, that all sexual relationship outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin before my God, and therefore I will commit to waiting for the person that God brings into my life that I can spend the rest of my life with and enjoy that blessing within the confines of marriage. You know, the enemy lies. That's all he does. He's a liar. He's a murderer from the very beginning. You know, and he wants God's people to compromise in the area of sexual behavior. He wants us to compromise and he wants us to sin. And he doesn't tell us it ruins our spiritual credibility and testimony. He doesn't warn us about the danger of unwanted pregnancy. He doesn't warn us about the danger of sexually transmitted diseases. He doesn't warn us about any of the consequences because he doesn't care about them. He hates us. He hates us. And he says, believe me, don't believe the God who loved you so much. That he sent his only son to die in your place. That if you believe in him, that you'll have eternal life and you will spend eternity not only with God, but you will enjoy eternal life today, at this moment in time, living in a relationship with God who is my shepherd, who is my Lord, he is my Savior, he is my God. He doesn't want us to believe that. He wants to destroy our testimony before the world. This couple who came to me, and she was convinced her fiancé was a Christian. And as we got to meet and as we got to talk, he realized as we went through the word of God that he was condemned before God, that he was a sinner, that he is a sinner, that he was lost and on his way to hell. And as we went through the word of God and the remedy that was there, that you know what, repent from sin, turn from sin, turn to God, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin his heart to Christ and as we continue to meet you know one of the things that he said was so confusing to him as we went through and we talked about what was right or wrong according to God and we talked about the area of sexual purity and he'd look at his fiance he'd look at her and say do you believe that and she had to say yes she was sitting there with me I mean we're talking right <laughs> And so she was like going, oh man, you know, I'm going down the road and I know where it's leading. But she had answers. answer. She said, well, yeah, I believe that. And he looked at her and, and said, and I'll never forget the look on her face, the look on his face, and probably the look on my face. But he looked at her and said, then why are we having sex outside of marriage? And you talk about conviction. The lie of the devil is that you can compromise God's truth and still win people to faith in Christ that is a lie from the pit of hell, it can't be done. Because if a person comes to Christ, they're not coming to the Christ of the Bible. They're not coming to the faith of the Bible. They're not being born again according to the word of God. They may show up at church, they may come to a Bible study, they may do all kind of external things, but their heart is still far, far from God. His question was, if you believe this, then why aren't you living it out before me? Because I was afraid that if I lived it out, you wouldn't want me. How foolish and how stupid that is. If he wouldn't want you because you lived out your faith, then you shouldn't want him either. If you love me, you'll do it. No, if you love me, you won't ask me to do it. If you love me, you won't put that pressure on me. If you love the Lord and you love his word and you love truth, we will be committed to do what's right before God together because you know what? It's unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. We're to make an impression upon our culture and we do so by living in in these areas in a manner that is worthy of our calling, that is exemplary of our Savior, that is exemplary of the Christian faith and what we say we believe. If you believe it, live it. If you don't, don't say that you do. I don't want you to confuse people in your life that you are a Christian like me, or like that person, or like someone else. Because I know before coming to faith in Christ, my biggest problem with Christ was Christians. And I lumped them all together. And if that person wasn't living a life that was right before God claimed to be a Christian, then I assumed that all Christians were hypocrites. All Christians believe the same thing. And that's the sad reality of the world that we live in. We are all judged collectively as a group. So why don't we collectively, as a group, live according to the standards of the Word of God? The second area, as we are winding all this up, but the second area that he talks about has to do with, uh, he he tells Timothy um, in in 1 Timothy chapter 4 again in verse 13, the responsibilities that have to be carried out also involve the practice of the church. And this has to do with Timothy himself, where it says, Timothy and all believers are to give attention. uh, He says, give attention to the public reading of scripture. Do you ever wonder why you come to church? I mean, sometimes people go, well, you know, why even, that? why go to church? Well, because the Word of God says, you know what, give special attention, give heed, uh, give attention to the public reading of Scripture throughout the history, not only the church, but even before that, if you'll recall, from Nehemiah chapter 8, read that sometime, but in Nehemiah chapter 8, they opened the word of God, and then they would begin to explain it and teach it. It's important that biblical exposition of scripture is an important part of the reason that we collectively gather together as God's people, to uphold the word of God as our standard by which we live, and then to explain it in such a way that as we all leave here, we understand what we're supposed to do with what we just learned. And so, when he says to give or to pay attention or give attention. It means to give attention uh, on, on a continuous basis in the present tense. We're to constantly be giving ourselves, giving our attention to the public reading of Scripture or the reading of Scripture and, and so that we understand the truth that's there. To give attention to the reading of Scripture. The second thing he says, give, a, give attention to exhortation. Now exhortation means this. As the word of God is read, as I do, I read the word of God, exhortation is that I then explain it in such a way that hopefully you will leave here and go, I understand what was just said, and more importantly, as the spirit of God lives within the life of a believer, I also understand what I am supposed to do. Exhortation is the application of truth. We've all been in places where we've heard somebody explain scripture but there's no life to it it's almost academic it's also almost aesthetic it's almost like uh, there's almost like a distancing effect because there's no reality to what was just taught it's like you can open it and you can read you know, a Bible knowledge commentary and just say, well, this is what it means. But we have to be able to explain in a way so that we understand what the application is. That's why so often I use illustrations from my own personal life, from my life that as, I, as I interact with other people because that's where this truth comes. Ezra said, man, I was dedicated to study the Word, but you know what? Studying the Word is not enough. I was dedicated to live it. And even that's not enough because once I live it, then I can teach it. And I can teach it with authority. I can teach it with a sense of understanding that you know what I know what I'm talking about I've been there I've done it I've lived it I've seen it disobeyed I've seen the consequences of it I'm out there with you in the real world dealing with people all the time who either choose to believe God or not believe God those who believe God I see the blessings those who don't believe God I see the consequences and their life is a mess and I'm here to warn you of the lies of Satan and also to encourage you of the truths of God believe him trust him because he is a good God who cannot lie don't believe the lies of the devil because he will destroy your life and, as a believer, your testimony before the world. Exhortation is apply the truth. Be doers of the hearers and not only, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you leave here anytime I teach and the Holy Spirit of God does not convict you to take action in an area of your life, bad me, woe is me because I have not done what God has called me to do. And I don't know everybody. And that's the beauty of all of it. I don't know everybody. I don't know your personal situation. I don't know what's going on. And the beauty of all of it is is the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The, The word of God will judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And the word of God will tell you, repent if you're sinning and be obedient in all areas of life. If your speech is not representing that which a Christian speech should represent, then clean up your mouth. If your conduct doesn't represent it, then clean up your conduct. You know, all you got to do is go down through and look at it and say, man, you know what, if this isn't exemplary of my life, if I don't love people as Christ loves people, then God, you know what, help me in that area. If I feel like giving up and I feel like getting sidetracked because the world has a lot of good stuff to offer and I'm not doing what God has called me as an ambassador to do, then God put me back on track. Hey, you know what, and if I'm not, and if I'm not pure in, my, in the area of sexual purity, then Lord, forgive me for that sin. And we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what the enemy wants to tell you? It's always too late to start fresh. But I'm here to tell you the mercies of God are new every morning. So don't buy into that lie either. Today you can commit to doing what is right before God. He says, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And teaching is where we learn what is right and wrong before God. He goes on and gives us three reasons in closing why we should be motivated to be positive role models. Number one, he talks about the commission of a spiritual gift. He says, uh, take pains with these things, be absorbed in these things. Don't neglect, in verse 14, the spiritual gift given to you or given within you. Listen, folks, every person who has genuinely come to faith in Christ, the Bible teaches that we are given a spiritual gift or gifts at the moment of salvation. The purpose of those gifts is to bring glory to the Lord and equip and build up the body of Christ to continue the work that God has called us to do. He says, don't neglect that gift within you, meaning that there is a tendency or temptation to neglect doing that which God has called us to do because, frankly, sometimes there's a price to pay for being obedient to God. There's obstacles that come, and sometimes you go, you know what, Lord, I don't need this aggravation. I don't need these headaches, I don't need this trouble, and I think I'll just go golfing on the weekends. But he said, don't do that, because it's not an option. Don't neglect the gift that's within you. Don't allow anybody to take a ministry opportunity away from you that God has called you to do. You don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. We need to do what God has equipped us and gifted us to do for His glory and for His honor to equip and build up the body of Christ. The reason that you know, the church as a whole is so anemic in our culture is that some of us aren't using the gift or gifts that God's given us to do the job we're supposed to be doing. Ephesians 2.10, the work that we're supposed to do, that is given us to do before the foundation of the world. Even before we were saved, God knew the work that he called us to do before he saved us. My question to you is this. What are you doing to further the kingdom of God through the gift or gifts that God has given you? If you don't know what your gift is or what those gifts are, then we need to find out what they are so we can help you go along that road to utilize those for God's glory and for his kingdom. Notice there's a credibility that comes with living an exemplary life. He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in these things. Why? So that your progress may be evident to all. I don't know about you, but when I first came to faith in Christ, the people in my life said, it'll wear off. Yeah, good for you. It'll wear off. Jesus, freak, whatever it is, now you are. You know, whatever, wonderful, happy for you. Blah, 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 blah. It'll wear off. That was February 16th, 1978. So that's 24 years. And my hope and my prayer is that not only is it evident that it hasn't worn off, but it has become very evident that I have progressed ...along the path that God has called me to... ...to becoming more like Jesus. Some of you have been here a long time. And, and you need to share with people who haven't been here very long... ...how fortunate they are that they met me now... ...instead of when you met me. <laughs> and, and, and one day, in the future, there will be people who meet me... ...and you'll sit and go, man, you know what? Good thing you didn't know them in the year 2002. And the reason I say that is because we must all be making progress... ...to become more like Jesus. And in the Christian faith... ...if you're not moving forward... ...you're moving backwards. You're either becoming more like Jesus... ...or you're becoming more like the world... ...in which we live. See, and God doesn't need people... ...to become more like the world... ...in which we live... ...because you know what? Many are on that road that leads to destruction... ...and few have found the gate... ...that leads to eternal life. God needs you and I... ...to not be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we will know what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the last reason he gives is this, because it has eternal spiritual consequence. Living a godly life, being a positive role model of the Christian faith, has eternal consequence. He says, So your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself." Examine yourself. Make sure you're living a life that's exemplary of being a Christian. Measure it by the objective word of God. Examine yourself. Pay close attention. Don't let it slip. Don't become like the world and not even know it. You know what? Every day examine yourself. Lord, examine my heart. Is there any wickedness in me? Is there any unway, any, any unclean ways in me? Am I doing something that's not right before you? Lord, your spirit living within me. Teach me. Convict me of sin. Teach me truth. Guide me away from it and into a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, reveal that to me. You pray that prayer as a believer and get ready to start writing down everything that's wrong in your life. God, show me if there's any wickedness in me. (laughs) Get out a piece of paper and pencil. The question will be, do you really want to know? And once you know, are you really willing to turn from it and to live a life that's pleasing to God? Pay close attention. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who greet you. Listen, not one of us as Christians can save another person from the condemnation and judgment of God. Not one of us. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, His death on the cross, the power of His resurrection, can save anyone from the judgment of God that's to come, the condemnation that comes with sin. None of us can save anybody. Get that clear right now. But the point that he's making is this. All believers are light. All believers are salt. You and I can create such a spiritual thirst in the life of an unbeliever that they will come to us for direction. We are a lighthouse in a stormy harbor that points to safety in Jesus Christ. You and I, by living an exemplary life, a positive role model of the Christian faith, become lights who shine and point to the only Savior man will ever know, the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved, who will point people to the safety and sanctuary of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your life an exemplary life? Are you a positive role model of the Christian faith? If so, you will see people who have a thirst for spiritual things because of you, and you will point them to the safety that comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. God, help us to become a positive, Christian, godly role model. Father, thank You for Your Word, the clarity of it. We thank You for the conviction, even as we speak, even as we sit here, even as we listen to Your words, of the power of Your Holy Spirit. God, the only thing that holds us back from being obedient is our own free will. God, I pray for those who are here that know Christ, that they will commit to being obedient. If we love you, you say we'll obey your commandments. God, may we not compromise and believe the lie. I also pray for those who are not sure of their relationship with you, that they recognize they must turn from sin and throw themselves upon your mercy at the foot of the cross, believing that Jesus died on the cross for them and that he rose again three days later, conquering sin, death, and the enemy, and that by receiving Christ, you have given us the privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in his name, Lord, I pray for those who are not sure that today would be the day and that they will not hesitate to turn to you. And Lord, as we're born again, may our life be so exemplary of what it means to be a Christian that those around us are not confused by the things that we say and the things that we do. May the tongue of our mouth and the tongue of our shoe always go in the same direction that leads others to faith in Christ. And we thank you and praise you in his wonderful name. Amen.